For decades, Christine Handy had a successful international modeling career, and then one day, she learned she had breast cancer. What started as a heartbreaking diagnosis led to loads of chemotherapy treatments, surgeries, botched surgeries, and amidst all the heartbreak, the loss of a dream of modeling. But in the midst of all of this, Christine knew that God loved her. Sometimes she was in immense pain. Sometimes she was utterly confused. But something allowed her to keep on stepping towards God, even when all seemed lost. I'm really excited for you to hear Christine's story in this episode. And whether you or someone you know has or is experiencing breast cancer, or you are simply in the midst of a struggle, her story will encourage you. And her story doesn't just stop at surviving breast cancer. Because while she believed that the toll cancer took on her body stripped her of her modeling career, God actually had abundantly more in mind beyond anything that Christine could have asked for or imagined. You're listening to episode 102 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity for Christine and I to connect. And I really do believe that there's something that you want to do in this conversation. But I want to release any plans that I have, any plans that Christine has, any thoughts that we have that are just of ourselves. We want to release that all to you and say, if there's something you want to do, we want to invite it. If there's something you want to say, we want to invite it. Because we know anything you could come up with would be abundantly more than anything we could. So we give it all to you. We thank you for it. We thank you in advance for how we believe you're going to work. Let's pray in most holy name. Amen. All right. Well, Christine, I'm glad that we're able to connect. And there's a few reasons that I'll share. Before we jump into that, one thing that I do with my guests is I want to create a fun and unique way for guests to share who they are briefly. Okay. And the fun and unique piece is it's almost like an improv game for me where without much planning, I will try to come up with a prompt where someone could share about themselves. Yours might be one of the weirdest ones because I don't know where this idea came from. Have you seen Love Actually? Uh-huh. A few times. Okay. There is the scene where the guy is standing outside the house and he's got the cue cards yeah. and he's you know dropping yeah. them down, right? And so <laughs> your prompt okay. is, you want to communicate who you are to me, but for whatever reason, you can't do so out loud and you're going to have to stand outside and have these cards that you drop. And so you're currently writing your cards. You're thinking, okay, I want to quickly say who I am on these cards because I don't want to be writing it a whole lot. So what is it that you're going to write on your cue cards? I am a child of God. I am broken. I am seeking. I am thirsty. It's a good one, but a hard one. Like how vulnerable <laughs> do I want to go, right? <laughs> yeah. I have been abused, hurt physically, emotionally, but I have this picture in my head of God holding me, like as if I was a child. And I'm trying to change the tape in my head from trauma to abundance. It's a process. Hmm. I like that. I could visually see you at the start, like it was perfectly for cards, like boom, I am, yeah, boom. Yeah, well, and I hope I didn't say what I do actually, mm. in any regard, because I think who we are is different than what we do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm 100% with you on that. You know, I love to you had that moment of, you know, how vulnerable do I get? And that's the struggle, right? It is. When we go through something, we, we get to a point where we recognize the value of the story that God's given us. And yet we still wrestle with, well, what do I do with this story? How do I use this story? So you have many stories, just from what you just shared there. And from what I know about you being a breast cancer survivor. And I mentioned earlier that there is one reason I was particularly excited. And I recently connected with a friend of mine who serves as a missionary. His wife was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had shared with him that I've been doing this healing series. And I actually mentioned that I was going to have a guest that had also taken that journey and he just felt some encouragement in knowing that there were people who were sharing their stories, right? That were being willing to step into that vulnerability. Yeah. And so I'm grateful that you're here and I'm grateful that you're going to share a bit about who you are. And so, 
You know, I think just out the gate, instead of me prompting something, yeah. you know, when you've been thinking about this conversation, when you've been thinking about this topic of healing, both in me introducing it, but also just in general, when you think about your own story, what's God bringing up in your heart at this moment? Well, I have had 28 rounds of chemotherapy. I have had to endure 23 non-elective surgeries in the past 10 years. Mm. I've been bullied maliciously by a doctor. I've been bullied as an adult in other ways. And the physical pain, it pales in comparison to the emotional pain, mm. right? And, and that's hard to say when you've been cut open. I've had four mastectomies. If you don't understand what that means, I'm in agreement. I don't even understand what it means. And I'm the one it happened to. And so to wrap my brain around all that physical suffering presents an enormous amount of emotional introspection. And the emotional suffering is greater. And so when I try to understand, like, how does God allow children to get cancer, to suffer, to die? How does God allow parents to watch their children die? I don't understand it, but people ask me all the time, well, if you're a Christian and you believe in God, why did you have cancer? Why do you have a fused arm? Why did you go through that pain? Why do you continue to go through physical pain or emotional pain? I don't know the answer, but what I can tell you is that for 40 years of my life, the dependency on this world and the materialism and society's accolades that I was constantly trying to get left me depleted and lonely. Mm. And when I was faced with all these illnesses, not just breast cancer, these other illnesses and, and this bullying and this pain and this physical pain and this emotional pain, when I was faced with that and I clung to my faith, the only way I got through that was from the faith and the comfort of that faith. Did I understand why I had to keep enduring pain? I have no idea. I can't even answer that. I'm not a preacher. I've not been trained. I'm trained in real life trauma. And I try to use my real life trauma. I call it post-traumatic wisdom because I think we can hoard our stories, which continues a cycle of people feeling very alone in their journeys, or I can throw it out and give it like confetti and say to the world, this is what I've been through. This is how I dealt with it. This is who I was before. This is who I am now. And these are the steps that I took. And only then can other people apply that to their life. Hmm. Again, I'll go back to, I don't understand why, but I do understand my job in this, which is to share it, which is to teach it so that other people don't feel so alone in their pain like I did. Yeah. Well, thank you for stepping in that space because it's a hard space to step in, especially because of what you just shared. There's a lot of what you could share that would be hard to relive or rethink about. There's a lot that people want you to share. There's questions that they put out the gate that you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Or oh, why is that always the question that they ask? But right, there's all these pieces that make it hard to step in this space. And yet you also feel this invitation to step, knowing that you may have to endure some of this hardship. And so as you were talking, the question that popped to my mind that I want to ask is this. In light of all the difficult things that you may have to step into when sharing, is there something that when you share it, it's been life-giving? That when you share about this part of your story or this part of what God's done or this thing that you're processing, it kind of energizes you? Well, after I completed my chemotherapy and I thought I had completed most of my trauma, which turns out it wasn't over. I wrote a book about it. Mm. I started to become a motivational speaker. I went on the board of two nonprofits. I went back to school to learn how to write better. I wrote articles. I'm a social media influencer. Every single decision I made after cancer, all those platforms that I put myself in front of was solely to speak about my story, was solely to put it out there, not for me, not for my glory, but for God's glory to teach people that the way I did it was wrong. That wasn't easy, like you said, but it was all life-giving. Mm. Every single one of those things is life-giving. It's like serving in every single way. When I wake up, I'm either studying, I'm writing, I'm being interviewed, I'm speaking in some regard. That's life-giving. Mm. And in some ways, right, part of it can be depleting, 
but that's the man part of it. That's mm-hmm. not the ego because I don't have really ego anymore, but it's this thirst to help as many people as I can. But on some level, which I'll go back to the question you asked in the beginning, which was you know, kind of what, how are you healing now? I'm taking a little bit of step back because it was five, six years of constant work right. and constant right. building my brand and constantly being interviewed and constantly studying and constantly writing and publishing and getting my book made into a film and all these things, which are really nice, but I couldn't take a breath mm-hmm. because I needed to help more and more people. But that's not healing me. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't much that I knew about you. But then one day I was on YouTube and a video popped up in my feed from a podcast called The Bible Says What? Mm. And (laughs) I was a guest on The Bible Says What? And I saw your name. That was scary. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about that because if people don't know, if people have been listening to podcasts, I brought it up a few times, but Michael identifies as an atheist. And his podcast is set up to be a Christian versus atheist, like, let's press into this. And he knows his Bible. He at least knows like- More than anybody I know. Right. Tabs all over it. And so part of what you felt invited to is to share who God has been in the midst of this. You even said, this isn't about your glory. It's about God's glory. And you're finding yourself in these spaces, right? Where sometimes you're with someone who gets the God that you're talking about. They're like, yes, I know that God too. I know the God who sometimes invites us into hard things, but is still somehow loving and powerful, right? Sometimes you'll talk to people who identify as Christian, but they don't quite know that God yet. And you kind of throw them off because they're like, oh, I just thought you were just going to tell me this great miracle story, but <laughs> this is, I don't know what to do with this. Awesome. But you're also apparently finding yourself in spaces where you're sharing your story with people who do not believe that God exists. And so you could talk specifically about Michael's podcast, or you could talk broadly, right. but how do you navigate that? You've got a story about God and you're telling it to people who don't understand that God or might not even believe that God exists. You know, it's really difficult and has nothing to do with Michael. I have so much respect for him mm-hmm. because he's so knowledgeable about the Bible. In fact, I'd love to sit down with him for weeks so he can educate me more on the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And he asks a lot of really important questions. He prompts a lot of really important thoughts within me. And so I have total respect for him. But yes, I do get interviewed a lot. And I'm in spaces like being an influencer on social media. I don't think there are a lot of influencers that are faith-based. I could be wrong. I parcel out the times that I think it's really critical, but I'm also very cognizant of alienating people as well. Mm -hmm. I don't often use God or Jesus, but I always use faith. Now I may be doing it wrong as a Christian. There are opportunities where I use the word God, where I use the word Jesus, but if it's not presented in a way that I feel safe saying that, Mm -hmm. because our world, you know, Satan is abound, right? He's around, he's trying to tear us down. And so sometimes that fear of isolating different groups of people seeps into my head and I go, okay, well, my faith got me through. Does that make me kind of weak? Maybe. Am I proud in those moments? Absolutely not. Mm. Do I think that I should have used the word God? Always. Hmm. It's fear. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's understandable, too, because, you know, Scripture says the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, which means Mm -hmm. if you're going to be talking about God, you're going to look foolish. You're going to look foolish. Foolish in the sense that you're saying something crazy. Foolish in the sense that you're stepping into something crazy. Foolish in the sense that you're living in a crazy way. And we don't want to look like fools. And so you've got these two pieces now. You've got the fear of how we perceived. And then, like you mentioned, we don't want to alienate. We don't want to cause somebody to feel like we're trying to give a gift to someone. And if that gift is hurting someone, it's like, oh, man. So it can be hard to know how to communicate, how to share our stories, how to present them in such a way where we are authentic to who God is and who he's made us to be while also being cognizant of the audience before us. Let me interrupt for a second. When I wrote my book and published my book, there were many publishers who said to me, do not put those scriptures in there. Mm. Do not use the word God. And I said, I would not be here after all that I have endured without those scriptures. So they're staying. Mm -hmm. When I started to speak to really big audiences, I used to justify myself and say, okay, well, 
if you don't use the word God and use faith and you promote your book, when they're reading your book, there's scriptures all over the place. Mm-hmm. So you're leading them to a place where they can learn about God. That was my justification. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself when I published the book, if you want this out, God, get it out. If you don't, you won't. And that was the only belief that I truly had about my book. It wasn't self-serving. I wasn't going out with a book saying, oh, I want to make millions of dollars. Like who wouldn't, right? I want my name all over the world. That's disgustingly selfish. (laughs) It's gross. But I'm just saying I wanted the book to be out there so that people could read about how to depend on faith in the most traumatic times. And it's a story. It's a fictional depiction of my life. So it's not a self-help book. You know, when I was going through breast cancer, I was gifted many beautiful books about faith and God and scriptures, and I used them as resources and they helped keep me on my feet. But I didn't, there weren't any stories. There wasn't a movie. There wasn't a TV series about a woman going through breast cancer. And so that space was empty and I felt like I could fill that space because I had the courage to do it. And when I filled that space and included my faith and included scriptures and said to God, if you want this, get it out there. I was covered. Mm. I didn't need, there was no pride and ego in it. Yeah. So one thing you shared is that you really do feel like God is inviting you to share the story. And so if people want the full story, there's a book about it. But right now, tell me a little bit about your story. Well, I mean, I had a lot of false idols. I was very flawed. I grew up in a very entitled environment. I was comfortable in that space. You know, I was very dependent on external accolades. I was a model starting at a very young age. And so my worthiness, I believed, was very dependent on what I looked like. And when I started to get sick in three different major illnesses, including cancer, I was scarred and I lost my hair and I lost that beauty. I quit. I planned my suicide Hmm. because I felt like I had used resources from my friends and family. I'd used up the tokens of help and I was too prideful to ask for more help. And so I tripped myself up and I slowly realized that the idols that I adored, they weren't saving me. I was in quicksand and I was sinking fast. And when my friend showed up and said, man, you've been doing this wrong, but we'll cover you. We will never forsake you. God will never forsake you. And I was like, what does that mean? And they would say to me, we're not here because of your beauty or what you can exchange, like what you can give us. We're here because we love you. And I was like, How can you love me if I don't love me? Hmm. And they said, well, we're the hands and the feet of God, and we're going to cover you until you can stand on your own. And they did. They stayed with me for 15 months during chemotherapy. Hmm. And so when I lost my courage, they were there to shore me up. And they were godly women. They were Christian women who gave up their Bible studies. They said to me, you're my Bible study. Hmm. And they taught me what that devotion and that faith dependency on faith looked like versus all the false idols that I tried to fill my life with. I do want to say this one thing because I find that people say this to me all the time recently. When somebody's diagnosis or treatment is over, the journey is not over. And so if anybody's listening to this, if they know anybody that's gone through chemotherapy or surgeries, fill in that space long term. If it's a text, if it's a call, if it's reaching out, reach out to your strongest friends because they need it the most. That's so important. And there's a previous episode where the guests and I were talking about past trauma and triggers and how you could be years past a thing, feel like you've healed, everything's all fixed up. And then somebody says a word and it just takes you right back. I had that happen last night unexpectedly. I'm editing an episode with someone named Tracy And she was talking about the Mm Myers-Briggs. And that triggered a work trauma that I had years ago, (laughs) unexpectedly. And the weight of it just sat. And I just had to lean back on the sofa for a bit. What you're talking about is real. I mean, you went through something traumatic. Physically, yes. But you also noted emotionally, it was a beast. Yeah. Even when scars heal and pain goes away, there can still be this long-term piece. So I appreciate you saying that, and especially because it is an invitation and a challenge to those who are in relationship with folks who might be in that position where they need that long-term journeying. One thing I did want to ask is, I just, I, I keep thinking about my friend whose wife is currently in the midst of this journey. And what you've shared is there were these hard moments 
yeah, both physically and emotionally. And she is either in the midst of those or she's entering those. And so you navigated this while also wanting to believe that there was a God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, how would you encourage those who are currently in that dark, hard space? I knew there was a God, but I wasn't depending on that God Mm. for all those years. I was depending on what the world thinks that we should depend on, right? Beauty, accolades, likes, comments, things like that. And so it was what I was focusing on that mattered. Mm. And so when I shifted the tapes in my head of, oh, you're not worthy. Oh, you're not beautiful. You're now scarred. You have the scarlet letter of cancer now, Mm. right? Because when I was growing up and I was young, little, and my parents would say amongst their friends, oh, so-and-so has cancer. Mm. It was shameful. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, the first thing I felt was shame. Mm. The second thing I felt was jealousy. And that jealousy was somebody else is going to get to raise my kids. And I was angry about that. Yeah. When I focused on those emotions, I felt defeated. I felt like I had to give up my life. But when I started to focus on be still and know God, but when I started to focus on I am worthy, I am loved, God will not forsake me and started to bring in Christian music. When I was sitting on the floor, laying on the floor from chemotherapy and throwing up and other things were happening. I was listening to Hillsong's song, Oceans. Mm-hmm. If I had the TV on and it was E! News, man, I would have felt really defeated. And that's so critical, what you listen to during those darkest moments. And so then I started to play podcasts of like Super Soul Sundays and Brene Brown and uplifting things. And, and I picked preachers who were also uplifting and hopeful, like Joel Osteen. I started to listen to his podcast during chemotherapy. And so I replaced the materialism and the things of this world with life, plants, podcasts, people, you know, my friends who shut up for me, the Bible, Bible studies. And I started to speak to myself differently. I used to say to myself, okay, well, this is your percentile chance of survival. And then I said to myself, don't ever say that again. Mm. Your percentile chance of survival is not man-made. It's God. And so when I negated those negative thoughts, my life started to feel more hopeful. And the other thing that I would say to people who are diagnosed with cancer, and this is a tough thing to do, and I eventually conquered it. If you don't focus on the outcome, like the outcome you have no control over, but if you focus on every day and showing up for yourself, not only will you show bravery and courage for yourself, you will show bravery and courage for other people. And that kind of momentum will carry you through. Yeah, that's beautiful and so important. But as you were talking, it made me realize there is a step of faith in the midst of that as well. Because what we have already discussed is, sure, there are a lot of scriptures that talk about how much God loves us and how good God is. But there is also these questions that you will get asked sometimes that you're like, I still don't have the answer to it. Why does God allow suffering? I don't know. Why does God? Why? Why? And so... You're entering this space while also knowing that you're not getting all the answers. You're not getting all the clarification. You are not being given a clear sense of everything is going to be completely fine. And that's what platitudes usually are, right? Is, oh no, everything will be fine. God's going to take care of you. Things going to be okay. But you're having to enter these spaces knowing, oh, God loves me, but he's also still allowing me to suffer right now, right? So Tell me about that piece where you are drawing more towards this God of power and love. You are trying to be mindful of what you're putting around you while also knowing that there are still significant unknowns that you may never get answers to. And yet you still have to trust him. Well, there's a couple things. I've had some issues with my children for quite a while. I have no idea what it's like for two young boys to have a mother who's sick a lot. Mm. I didn't have a sick mom. So there's consequences for them. And so my kids have spiraled a little bit over the past few years. And I look at my kids and we are only as happy as our unhappiest kid. Mm. And so that really challenges my faith because I look at my kids and I go, I'd lay down my life for you. But then I say to myself, well, if you love those kids as much as you do, And God says he would lay down his life for you. Then wouldn't he lay down his life for your children? And so I try to bring that into my pain that I feel when I'm so worried or staying up at night or can't eat because I'm so afraid about what's happening to my children. 
But if I was just depending on what the world was saying about my children, mm-hmm. oh, these kids are going to be whatever, then that's what I'm meditating on. And maybe that's what I become, right? The fear, I become the fear. And then I lose more sleep and then I don't eat, right? But if I bring that God loves me, God loves my children, I am the daughter of the Most High, these children are the children of the Most High, that dissipates that fear. And it all depends on what you meditate on, what you focus on. And when I gave up worrying about, am I going to get through 28 rounds of chemotherapy? Mm -hmm. And if I do, who's going to be here at that point? If I meditated on that throughout that process, I would have never gotten through it. The fear would have paralyzed me. I wouldn't have shown up at chemotherapy. I would have pushed all of my friends and family away because I would have been like, I'm going to die anyway. Instead, I gave up the outcome and said, okay, I'm going to show up today. Whatever today brings me, I'm going to show up with courage. And every day was different. It didn't mean that I had tons of courage every day, but when I didn't have courage, I had friends who were like a courage net for me. And when they showed up for me, that instilled more courage in myself. It's all about the focus and whether you meditate on the outcome, it's not going to serve you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, it reminds me of something that's come up in a few conversations, both on the podcast, but also just in life around the idea of, there is this idea that we are journeying with God. Sometimes it takes us a while to get to that point. We just want the quick fixes. We want the solutions, but this is a lifelong journey. But then the next invitation is to question within ourselves, what is it that we're journeying towards? Because sometimes we will journey with God because he's going to get us to this opportunity or comfort or this relationship or this job. And then when that doesn't happen, then we start to wonder, wait, am I journeying right? Is God right? What's happening? What's wrong? And the invitation that God gives us is actually to journey towards him. And if he goes this way or that way or down in a valley, instead of our gut response being, I don't want to go into a valley, it should be, well, I want to go where God is. And if God's going to the valley, I guess I'm going in the valley. And the most powerful moments in scripture are ones where the individual was willing to go even to the darkest places because they knew that's where God was inviting them. They knew that's where God was. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, willing to go into a fire because they are willing to follow God. But our gut instinct is more like the disciples that when Jesus was talking about going towards death, they actually started to rebuke him, (laughs) to reprimand him. And they they wouldn't go with him. Right. That was the line. You know, there are so many of us that identify as Christians that really do desire to be Christ followers, to follow Christ. But what we don't realize is how many lines we have. Yeah. I will follow God up until this point, up until it starts to affect my financial security or my health or my reputation. That's where you really start to learn, am I really following Christ or am I following this idea of Christianity? And when we follow Christ beyond these points that we never thought we could actually get past, I would never have the strength to make it through this or this would be too hard for me. When we follow him, we find out, oh, I actually did survive this, or I actually did make it through. It forces us now to start to die to all those other things that we may still be holding on to. And that's what I love about your story is, you know, at the start of the story, you didn't see anything wrong with the things that you were idolizing, the things that you're holding on to, because it was culturally acceptable. It was expected, in fact, to rely on these things and to pursue these things. And on this end of it, you are gladly dying to those. I'm sure there's still others that you're still like, ah, I don't know, I'm not ready because you're still here and alive and a human, right? Right. Like you're still on the journey. Right. That is so true. You say it really beautifully. You can tell that you were in the ministry and I (laughs) applaud you. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. I think when it comes to my children and their hardship, that's also an idol in my life. Mm. Because if I were just to say, okay, let it go and let God, I would have that comfort of God's going to care for them. Yeah, It is his will. His will is done. But we try to control it. And even after all these years of despair that I've gone through and trauma, I guess on some level, I'm still clinging to that control. Mm-hmm. This has been a stronghold in my life for a long time, control. And each day, well, not every day, but a lot of days I say to myself, just surrender. And it's hard, Right. Not just because we're shown a different way culturally, but we don't want to feel that pain. We all know what that pain feels like. And so surrendering feels like we're at some level going, okay, well, if it hurts, it hurts. 
I don't want it to hurt. Mm -hmm. So I want to control that. I want to stay in pain so that the hurt feels less, but it doesn't hurt less. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about Jesus walking towards death and he had a willingness, right? But what we also know is that in the garden, he felt the depth of that recognition of the pain that was around the corner, a sorrow that none of us will ever actually fully grasp. He felt that knowing what he was going to have to endure. Yeah. If you can take this cup from me, God, if we could do this another way, I'm willing to serve you. But can there be another way? Because this is awful, right? And this is coming from a guy who had endured plenty of hardships prior to this. Yeah. This isn't weakness on his part. For Jesus to say this means that he was painfully aware of how awful what was ahead was going to be. And yet he had the willingness to say, but not my will, but yours be done. And what I love about Jesus being in human form and doing this is we hear stories like yours or stories of people in hardship. And it can be easy for someone on the other end of it to say, man, I don't know that I would ever have the strength to do that. I don't know if I could ever be wise enough to navigate that. I don't know that I could have the resolve to, I don't know that I could, like we will diminish ourselves. We will elevate others who have been through the hard things and think that, well, I'm glad that they were able to do it. I sure hope that I'm never in that situation. Sure. But if somebody has been listening to their story, your story wasn't, well, you know, I was born a super Christian. And so when I got the cancer, I immediately knew everything was going to be fine. And I no, like you were not a super Christian. Right. I had to dig deep. And you were willing to step, even if at the time you didn't even know fully what you were stepping towards, right? The disciples were choosing to step towards Christ, to follow Christ. But it's very clear from what we know about them that they were wrong half the time in what they were stepping towards and how they understood Jesus. That wasn't the point. Jesus wasn't expecting perfect understanding from them. He was expecting willingness, simple steps. And then when they misstepped, he said, Where's your faith? Come on, come on. When they really misstepped, like Peter did, he was standing on the shore cooking fish and saying, come on, I haven't given up on you. It was that willingness. So how would you encourage someone who's in that place who says, I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom. I'm not good enough. I cannot face this thing that's ahead of me. Well, I guess it goes back to, I think what Jesus said on the cross when he said, forgive them for they know not what they've done. And that worked really well for me when I was first diagnosed with cancer, because I had to forgive myself for all the things, the false idols and all the dependencies that I had done. Right. But it was also when he says that it's also this permission. They do not know what they have done. Mm -hmm. It's like this permission to I'll still take you back. And so I think we trip ourselves up so much when we're facing trauma that so-and-so is not going to show up for me. And by the way, there are people that will not show up for you, but the people that are left are the ones that are meant to be there. And it could be a smaller amount. And I have to encourage you, oftentimes that's better because you don't have enough time to take care of all those other people, but the people that are there, God will give you enough courage and enough time to care for those people while they're caring for you. But if we start to forgive ourselves during a process of trauma, then we can extend that forgiveness to all the people who've gone before us that have hurt us. And it can be a healing time physically and emotionally. And I think it starts from forgiveness. It's a focus, right? It's a choice. Like I could have gone through the beginning of chemotherapy and been just outrageously angry, outrageously disappointed and fought, right? Mm -hmm. Fought myself, fought the people around me, fought my faith. There is no God, whatever I want to fill my mind with. Instead, I said to myself, I'm going to fill my mind with life-giving scriptures. And part of that was I'm going to forgive myself for all the mistakes that I've made. And there are so many. And I'm going to start forgiving myself. And when I start to forgive myself, I'm going to forgive that doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm going to forgive the person that bullied me. I'm going to forgive the person that physically abused me because all of that anger, maybe that toxicity created this cancer. I have no idea, but I don't want that moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I think it goes back to forgiveness and that is a daily practice. Through this process, you learned more about yourself and you learned more about who God created you to be. And you learn more about who God is. I want you to finish this sentence for me. And this is for the person who is in that place, who's in the midst of the hardship, who is about to start chemotherapy or who just has this daunting thing ahead. 
knowing that you can't make somebody see God as you see him, right? Knowing that, how would you finish this sentence? I know that you're in a hard place. This is who I came to know God to be. My stronghold, the only dependency that I actually needed. I was on quicksand and I turned and chose to live in faith and my life got much easier. I love it. The other thing I love about your story is, have you ever heard of or connected with Barbie Ingle? No. She would be one to look into because she was an early guest in this healing series. And there's so much of her story that your story meshes with. Hmm. She also went through a lot of health things. She loved cheerleading and she wanted to do this whole business around cheerleading. And that was who she was going to be. And then the health stuff took that dream away. And then on top of that, she had a similar doctor experience where the doctor was not doing his job well and actually caused more issues. And she had to navigate all this stuff. But she came to discover not just who God was, but also that God was inviting her to be a cheerleader, but in a very different way. And now she's sharing her story and cheerleading others who are going through the journey. And the reason I mention her is because, again, somebody can hear your story and hold you up and say, wow, listen to Christine's story and look what she was able to do. And you already said it earlier, like you're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing this to get your name all over the place. Right. And the hard reality when we're invited to share our stories is that sometimes we will share it and we won't see the fruit. Right. We will just be planting a seed. The fact that you exist and Barbie exists and so many others exist, for me, demonstrates the beauty of God creating us to function in community. That it's not that we have to pinpoint the singular super Christians, the singular powerful stories. It's that there are these stories all around us mm-hmm. that we'll hear and then we'll hear this one. And it reminds us now that, no, it's not, the goal here is not for me to be like Christine. Right. Christine learns that wasn't her goal. She right. had to be less like Christine. Exactly, exactly right. You know, the goal isn't to be like this person who went through the struggle. It's to know what did they learn about who God is and who God's created us to be. And when there are multiple people having these experiences, like, okay, maybe, maybe I actually can step into this space, even though I'm so afraid or I'm so weak or I'm so concerned. Yeah. I wanted to share that because I love that God is giving these stories. Well, let me give you a very small story. I have been modeling, like I said, for 40 years and I stopped modeling when I went through breast cancer. But prior to that, I had been modeling for 30 years. And so how could I use modeling, right? Mm. For the good of God or for the good of other people? I had no idea. And I really, to be honest with you, never had any intention of doing that. And so a few years ago, when I had my third and fourth mastectomy because of MRSA infection in my chest, I became concave. Even after I had my first and second mastectomy with cancer, I had implants. And so all of a sudden I was 49 years old with a concave chest. And when I got through the physical pain, which was immense, it took me longer to figure out the emotional pain. Like, Mm. okay, why this now, God? I've already been through all of this. Now, why this? And finally, one day I woke up and I said to myself, okay, you've used all of your pain in the past to help other people. What's different about this? Why can't you use this to help other people? And so I started to ask myself, how can I use this to help other people? And so I picked up my phone and I called my modeling agency and I said, I want to come back. This is what this looks like. This is what I look like in this clothing. This is what I look like in a bathing suit, blah, blah, blah. And they said, welcome back. Mm. And so I made a conscious decision that I was going to represent the breast cancer community. And I was going to model in any way I could, whether it was print or on the runway or however, to show women that breast cancer, the deformity of breast cancer doesn't have to stop you. And it doesn't make you less beautiful. Mm. It may be different but it's not less beautiful. Two weeks from now, I'm walking in New York Fashion Week as a concave breast cancer survivor for five different brands. The only reason that I'm doing that is because I had enough courage to say, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone because this isn't super comfortable Mm -hmm. to walk in New York Fashion Week. First of all, I haven't walked the runway in 30 years. Mm. I was a catalog model. But every single day I'm putting my heels on every single day. I'm practicing how to walk for New York fashion week. And two days ago, an article came out in fashion week. Now the magazine is Paris fashion week, Milan fashion week, New York fashion week. It's a big magazine. 
And the cover of the magazine said, Christine Handy, the one to watch in New York Fashion Week. Wow. Now, imagine how many women are going to be inspired, are going to feel less alone with their concave chest because I'm walking the runway with a concave chest. Mm. Like, isn't that the greatest gift that I can give anybody is to say, this isn't going to stop me. Mm-hmm. And, and then it encourages other people to say, okay, well, if it's not stopping her, it's not stopping me. Yeah. That's amazing. Right? That's amazing. <laughs> but all of these things are an idea and then an action. Mm-hmm. And it takes courage. I'm not saying it's easy. It was really hard for me to do that. And I could have had the rejection. I could have had my modeling agency. Sorry. Right. You're deformed. Whatever word I wanted to label it as, those words were in my head. Mm-hmm. I had to overcome that and say, I'm not going to quit before I start. I am going to submit these pictures to my modeling agency, even though it's scary. And let's see what God can do. Now God has me in five runway shows in New York Fashion Week. I've never walked in New York Fashion Week. I'm 51 years old. Mm. And now all these people that see me on New York Fashion Week, maybe they'll Google me. And they'll see the God part of my story. Yeah. And this is the crazy thing about how God works is we have our ideas of the best case scenario, the best way that things should go. 20, 30 years ago, you had probably mapped out, this is the best trajectory for my life. Yeah. You would never have chosen mastectomies, chemotherapy, and you definitely would not have wanted to walk down the runway in the conditions that you just described. Absolutely. Like that would not be on the table. And meanwhile, while you're formulating these plans, God's like, I hear what you're asking for. I see what you're imagining. And that is that is so small compared to the abundantly more. Mm. And his foolishness <laughs> is actually wiser because you just described it. The beauty, the power, the gifts that can come from what God can do from this step of courage. It, it's so much greater than whatever your best idea was. Yeah. And this is what everyone's being invited to. If we are Christ followers, Jesus said it. If you want to follow me, I want you to die to yourself. Because as long as you're not doing that, you're going to be holding on to your ideas, your dreams, your goals. And some of those are nice. They're great. But they are so small compared to the abundantly more. And so if you die to that, and trust me, It's going to look weird. It's going to be hard. It's going to be confusing. Sure, I get it because I'm way beyond your capacity to understand. But there will come a point where you will be able to look back and say, oh, Mm -hmm. that makes sense now. And oh, why in the world was I holding so tight to that thing that's so fleeting? And oh, wow, like Jesus really is smarter than me, right? right? This is the invitation for all of us. But on this end of it, you're right. It's going to take courage. I want to be very clear because some people hear my story and they're like, oh, you're so successful. Oh, well, you know, mm. you just make your mind up and it just happens. It doesn't just happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was seven months of me not being able to walk in my closet because I was so afraid of all the clothes I was going to have to give away mm. because I would never wear them again. Yeah. Yeah. That's emotional pain. Mm-hmm. But you have to make a choice at some point. Am I going to use this pain to paralyze me or am I going to use this pain to propel me forward? Yeah. And again, it's it's a journey, right? Because we want it to be, I make this singular bold step and now everything's good. No, it's, I take that first courageous step. All right. Now I take that other one. I don't want to take a third one. I'm tired of walking, but okay, I'm going to take this other. And you just keep on stepping. And the good news is steps of courage do not, as we said earlier, necessitate you being strong enough, wise enough, anything enough. It's just willing enough. That's it. Every single person has the capacity to take the step that God is inviting them to. Even if you think you are the least of these, every single person has that capacity. It's just, are you willing to take it? There's just so much more we could talk about. (laughs) The good news is you've written a book and it sounds like a movie is coming out too. And so I have two Final questions that are really simple. And the first one is, if somebody wanted to hear more of your story, learn more about what you're doing, connect with you, how can they do so? Well, I have a website, christinehandy.com, and I'm on most social media platforms. I kind of gravitate towards Instagram and Pinterest just because they have very big audiences. And of course, I want to help more and more people. But on Instagram, I'm christinehandy1. And I think that's what I'm on on Pinterest too. But if you just Google Christine Handy, a lot of stuff will come up. You can read about my stories. What's the quick little teaser about this whole movie thing? 
You know, it's not that short, but I'll make it as short as possible. <laughs> I wrote the book because I wanted it to become a film. And again, it wasn't ego-based. It was because I felt like the story had greater purpose. And when screenplay writer and I collaborated, he said to me something was so interesting because I had this idea of the film and he had a different idea. His idea was if you go back in history, even recent history, to the films of illness, all the protagonists die. Mm. Like Philadelphia, Tom Hanks dies. Steel Magnolias, Julia Roberts dies. They're all, people die. They all die. He said, this is a hopeful story because it's wrought with great pain and suffering. But in the end, you survive. And that's what the world needs. They need more stories of survival, not of dying. And so I'm on a big mission to make sure this movie gets filmed and out. Yeah. I'm throwing in a bonus question. Okay. You've probably been asked this, but I have to ask it. Your short list of who plays you, who's on it. So I originally thought Gwyneth Paltrow, but when I was going through all this, it was my young 40s, late 30s. And so that has to be that age group. And so there's an actress. Her name is Jamie King. She was a supermodel at one point, and now she's a big actress. And she looks, I mean, like my younger version of me. She And she's in that age range. That would be my person. That's fine. Yeah. So if anybody's listening that has the connections, <laughs> here we go. Um, yeah, I wish, I wish I could pick the actress, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then my final question is a really simple one. Um, before we go, is there anything else on your heart that you want to share? I think that for me, I'm always kind of struggling with forgiveness mm. within myself and with other people. And so if I would encourage anybody, I would say start there. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the Second Timothy 2, starting in verse 8, says this, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. There are so many truly powerful things about Christine's story, but I was really struck about that twist ending. Here she was with an incredible modeling career that seemed to be stripped from her because the physical toll that cancer took on her body, logic would say that that would ruin her ability to be a model. And in her mind and heart, she thought it was done. But then one day God nudged her and she followed that nudge and ended up today walking the runway of the New York Fashion Show, at an age she never thought she would walk, and in a physical condition she thought would bar her from such a space. But God wanted to do abundantly more than she could have asked for or imagined. She would not have asked for cancer. She would not have asked for a concave chest. She would not have imagined that either of those things would allow her to do any of the things that she used to do. And then God opened up an opportunity beyond her imagination. She had never walked for New York Fashion Week before. But today, I saw video footage of her walking the runway. This is the amazing God that we serve. A God who is not limited by our logic, who is not limited by our understanding. God can do abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. I repeat that verse so often because it's not only true, but it's easily forgotten. We constantly put limits on God. Cancer is hard. Cancer is heartbreaking. And yet beautifully, God turned what was the hardest period in Christine's life into something that's allowing her to share who he is to more people than she ever could have on her own. So many others have shared this storyline, including in scripture, where they experienced hardship that should have barred them from any kind of impact, and God did abundantly more. I know some of you are in that low, low, low place right now, where it's hard to keep going, and it's hard to believe that there is a future ahead. And I hope Christine's words encourage you that when she felt in that place, we can know now that she wasn't alone, that she wasn't unseen. And the same God that loves her, loves you. The same God that was with her is with you, is with you in the midst of those hardest, 
loneliest moments. You are not alone. And in the same way, just as Christine's future wasn't robbed of her, yours isn't either. The things you believe you've lost, God can restore in unexpected ways. I've had periods in my life where I thought that too much was lost and too much couldn't be restored. And sometimes I'll think of the first part of Joel 2.25 that says this, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. There are so many parts of my life that I feel like locusts have eaten. And yet God says, I can and will restore that. Maybe you feel like you've lost too much. And maybe you feel like your future has been dashed. But God can bring a restoration that is more than you could ask for or imagine. God could bring a restoration that you might not have chosen, but in the midst of it, you see the beauty of his wisdom that gives you an opportunity that will feel like an honor to participate in. God is with you now, and he knows the plans that he has for you. God wants to do something with you, with your life, with your story, if you're willing. And if you're willing, say to God in the midst of the darkness, here I am, and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?